before our uh, scripture reading this morning, just mention a few things. Is uh, normally we have a a big uh, fellowship dinner in December, uh, right around our Christmas fellowship, and we've had it the last couple of years with our Grace Partners. And this year we pushed that off, and we're going to try and coordinate some things with Grace Partners in the future. Uh, but what we'd like to do this year, especially for us is a Christmas fellowship, and that's going to happen during the, on the 22nd for our breakfast this time. Now, here's what I'd like you to do. <clears throat> our fellowship is important because it's our time as believers in this church, we get to, to fellowship with one another, to sit down, enjoy a meal together, and to, to be together as a group. And so, we want to, I want to emphasize that. I'd like you to emphasize that. What do I mean by emphasizing? Making it a priority on your schedule. It's going to probably start at 9 o'clock. I'm going to ask you not to drag in at 9.15 or 9.30. I'm going to ask you to make that a priority so that we can sit down together and fellowship. How important is fellowship? <clears throat> Fellowship is what encourages the believers. And we have gone through uh, some, some rough times in our church this year, and especially recently. There are so many uh, sick, and I'm going to mention that in prayer today. <clears throat> but we need, as a family, that comfort that comes from the fellowship of each other in Christ. And so I'm going to ask you to make that a priority. Uh, don't hide from Heidi when she uh, wants you to bring a dish. Don't come late that day and drag in just in time for service, but come in early and make that a special time of breakfast together with us. Now, we have made it a breakfast so that it wouldn't be a hardship to those who are so faithful in preparing those things. So we want to make it easier for them. But we don't want to emphasize the importance of fellowship on this time. So I'm going to ask you, I'm not talking to people who are not here because they can't hear me. I'm talking to you. Now you can communicate that to others as well because it's important for them too. But to make that a priority in your schedule on the 22nd for our time of fellowship. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, it's good to be here today. It's good to look out and see my wife's face and to see the smile on her face and how God has delivered her. It's been uh, two Sundays since, uh, since she's been here. She wasn't here this past Sunday or the Sunday before, and those of you know that you pray for her and that she has had a, uh, a very serious surgery. Uh, the gist of it is she's been diagnosed with colon cancer. Yes, she does have cancer. So we ask you to pray for her in that regard. Uh, God is good, and uh, he has given her um, uh, good uh, medical uh, attention, and uh, she has had a major surgery to cut out most of that cancer. They don't know that they've gotten all of it, and so they're going to do some more tests to find that out. So I ask you to pray for her. Uh, I said we're going through a trial because it's just been amazing um, uh, in this small gathering of, of believers of what we've had in terms of illness, sickness, and, and hardship in that area. And so um, we know we've had uh, three and now four who have been diagnosed with that dreaded word of cancer. And uh, 
we ask you to pray for one. We've had a death already in Sister Beverly uh, with cancer, and so uh, we've asked you to pray for the family and for Charles as they, they continue to, to mourn that loss, especially during the holidays. I talked to Charles, and he says, you know, he's reminded of things, and there's, there's joy and there's tears of sadness as well. And so we come together as a family to bless and to encourage one another in the Lord during this time and to, to continue to pray for each other. <clears throat> we'll start our morning, our, our Christmas series now on the Word of God. And our reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. So I ask you to turn there with me, Matthew chapter 1. Verses 1 through 17. Now, it's a difficult portion because it has so many names in it. These names are important, and we'll speak on some of these names in our message this morning. Would you stand with me in respect to the reading of God's Word? I didn't mention that if you don't have your own Bible, you need to get one. And if you didn't happen to bring yours today, you can borrow one today. Our ushers have Bibles available that you can use. I'll be reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. That's the version that we read from and teach from and memorize from uh, here at Sweet Communion. And so you can follow along with me um, if you don't have one by just raising your hand and the ushers will bring a Bible to you. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Solomon, and Solomon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, Joram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abayad, and Abayad the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 
14 generations. We pause now with this reading of God's word. This moment, let's remain standing with me as we bow for a moment of prayer. And after prayer time, our choir will come with a special song before the message of preaching of God's word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence with us today. Thanking you, Lord, that we can come and meet together. Thanking you, Lord, for your grace and your strength throughout the week. Thanking you, Lord, for your word that is presented this morning. Your word that brings us hope because it informs us about you It tells us of ourselves and our need for you. And it points us to your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who has come to be the savior of the world. We thank you for that. Christ is come. We celebrate this time of year, Lord, to remember how special it is that you sent your son, Jesus, into the world. Help us to remember, help us to emphasize the significance of this truth to ourselves and to each other and to live in hope that he has come, he has died on the cross, he is risen, he is seated now at your right hand and he's waiting for that command from you to come again to bring his kingdom and to bring it fully into into existence we thank you we look forward to this help us to be faithful in you until that time we pray lord for this group of believers and the challenges that we face we pray for aaron who's not here today because of sickness that you might be with him that you might heal him that you might encourage his heart and heal his body we pray for janice as well who's not here because of sickness, that you might be with her, encourage her, and heal her body. We know, Lord, that sickness can can be one of the things that causes discouragement. We pray for Sister Brenda because of her discouragement, not even knowing what the cause of her condition is. We pray, Lord, that you would encourage her heart, that you would work and allow her to continue trusting in you. Help her to see our concern and our love and our, our coming to you in prayer on her behalf. So we thank you that we pray for these and we pray, pray for their healing and for their heart uh, to be uh, resting in you, depending and trusting in you. Lord, I thank you for my wife back here today. I thank you, Lord, that she was able to come home from the hospital on Monday and from the time of her surgery last Tuesday every day there's been an improvement that I've seen in her physical condition and and her her love her zeal her passion her heart to live for you has not waned a bit we thank you for that how would you how encouraging it is to see her face today to see her smile to hear her voice, to hear her speak, to hear her sing. We thank you that you have allowed her to be back with us today. 
I thank you, Lord, for each one who has prayed for her. I know a lot of prayer has gone out, and I thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, that you do hear your people's prayer, and you have answered that prayer, and we pray that you will continue to answer that prayer. You'll take care of every situation that's coming up. You would be with and bless and that you would heal and you would eradicate those things that are unhealthy that may exist in her body. And we just thank you for that. We thank you for having the first time here to this morning, little Khalil. Thanking you, Lord, for just allowing um, his parents, Lord, to have a heart to serve you so that he can be brought up in a family that loves you and demonstrates that love. We thank you, Lord, for just watching over um, the pregnancy and deliverance, Lord. That we thank you for um, just healing and, 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 and helping, Lord, in, in, that, in his birth and in his uh, deliverance, Lord. So we pray, Lord, that you'll watch over mom and dad little Khalil as well, that you would allow him to be a healthy baby boy. We thank you for, um, we thank you for little Noah that was born and has been brought in, into this world. We thank you for one that is to come from Nick and Patty. We just pray for health and for strength for her pregnancy and deliverance as well. And so Lord, um, we continue to pray for Minnie Kathy, Lord, and her condition. We thank you for her uh, great-grandchildren that, that come and serve and be a part of our children's group. And we pray that you would just watch over and bless her. We pray, Lord, for, um, uh, as we mentioned, uh, Sister Brenda, we continue to pray for her. Um, we pray, Lord, that you would just uh, heal in her body, that you would watch over her, that you would be with her, that you would bless, and that you would uh, provide, Lord. And we thank you for uh, your care for all those who have uh, been sick, Lord. Um, all those who've had different illnesses and conditions, Lord, that you would continue to be with and, and uh, um, care for. We pray for each one, Lord, that, that you would bless. Be with this service now, Lord, as we um, look into your word, that you might encourage and guide our hearts and focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and him as our Savior who has come. We thank you for his presence in our lives. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. As we pray this morning, continue in prayer, we want to also remember my dad as he um, suffers in his health, and pray, Lord, that you would watch over and be with him. We also pray for Sister Lola Spears, and thanking you, Lord, that she's here with us today, and that you would continue to watch over and bless and strengthen and heal within her body, and allow her to continue to be that testimony within her family. And Lord, we thank you for these and pray for these that you would bring glory to yourself in the work in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. So what do all those names mean in Matthew? Some are familiar, some are not, but they all come in the line of Jesus Christ. And the key really is in verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The message, I've entitled my series, The Message of Christmas. The message of Christmas is that our Savior is come. It's a very simple message, but so profound. Our Savior is come. Now, you don't get that message necessarily from all the busyness that goes on. It's easy to get caught up in the busyness. I was at a store this weekend. I was at several stores this weekend looking around, and I was looking for something to to decorate a a shelf on our home and some Christmas decorations. And and I marveled out. I was at a store that was actually um, uh, a Christian store. They even played. Christian music year-round, and yet in all the stuff they had, they had very little that had to do with the actual meaning of Christmas, the birth of Christ. Now, they had some, but very little. You see a lot of reindeer, and you see a lot of Santas, and even the Christmas trees, and the lights, and all of those things, and uh, but very in comparison, very little to do with the message of Christmas that Christ, the Savior, is come. And so it's hard for us to to keep that uh, focus during this time. And I challenge you to do that, to keep a focus, to be reminded um, that it's Christ's birthday that we celebrate. And we celebrate it in so many different ways that we sometimes distract from the the true meaning. So we want to get back to that meaning. Here in this text, in Matthew, reminds us the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It's all about him. And in fact, all of the Old Testament is about Jesus in some way. He's the central character in all of God's word. And so a good way of understanding the Old Testament is ask that question, what does this inform us about Jesus? What does this have to do with Jesus? And so we see in verse 1 that he's the son of David, the son of Abraham. And that's the emphasis here on chapter 1 of Matthew, as begins to speak this gospel of Jesus Christ, he wants us to be connected with the characters of the Old Testament to realize that God didn't just come up with a new plan. God didn't just scratch his head and say, okay, man, a lot of mess, a lot of mistakes, a lot of drama in the Old Testament. Now what do I do? He has had a plan all along, and so he's saying this Jesus, who is the Savior, is the son of David and the son of Abraham. The son of David speaks of him being 
a savior or a messiah with a royal lineage. Royal, we mean king. David was the king. And Jesus is one of his descendants who then is to be a king himself. So it's important that he's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. Abraham is a man who walked after God to whom God made a promise to. And so as a son of Abraham, he is the one who fulfills the promises that God has given to Abraham. And so the New Testament is, 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 is starting right with where the Old Testament left off and linking them both together and say this Savior that is to come into the world is linked both to Abraham and the promises that God gave to Abraham and to David, who is the king. And I want to walk through some of these significant promises. And so we have to look at some of the Old Testament. You ask, why do we study the Old Testament? We study it because of the significance it is to God's whole plan and how it points to the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's take a look then at 2 Samuel. Now, I was supposed to bring a bunch of markers here for myself. And I have a few. You're going to need them. I put a marker in Matthew 1, and then I turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. I'll ask you to do the same thing. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 11. Pages are stuck together here. Here we go. 2 Samuel 7, verse 11. From the time that I appointed judges over my people. That's kind of in the middle of the sentence. But I want to pick up in the middle of that verse. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Now this is a prophetic word concerning David. Prophet is speaking about David and what God's plan is for David. He says, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That's what the prophet tells David when David Begins to rule. This is what God says about you, David. I'm going to make your kingdom a special kingdom. I'm going to establish one of your sons who's going to hold this kingdom forever. Now, he says forever. And he, he doesn't mean just a long time. He means literally forever. This son of David is going to rule God's kingdom forever. And so it's important that we see in Matthew that this Jesus, who is the Christ, is a son of David and fulfills this word of God from the Old Testament. That's what makes Jesus special. He's spoken of by the prophets in the Old Testament to be that one. Look again in Psalms 110, verse 1 and 2. 
Psalms 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. This is a significant passage because David is speaking of the Lord, God Jehovah, speaking to his Lord, to David's Lord, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the promise, the coming one. And he says this of Jesus, sit at my right hand. Jehovah God, God the Father says to Jesus, sit who, Jesus who is Lord over David. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now we know, in fact, look at a few verses in the New Testament that makes it clear that David isn't talking about himself. He's talking about the one who is to come, who's one of his descendants that is going to rule. Now what does it mean to sit at God's right hand? It means to sit in the place of authority. Jesus sits in that place. The, old, the New Testament makes it clear that when Jesus ascended in heaven, he's now seated right where? At the right hand of the throne of God. The place of authority. In Psalm 8, verse 6. Would you turn there with me? Psalm 8, verse 6. You know the psalm starts in verse 1. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Talks about his creation of heaven. And then it says about man, verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him? Verse 5. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Verse 6. You have given him dominion over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Now, speaking of the position that God has placed man, but speaking of the man, Jesus, who takes, who, who represents man and puts things in order. He is the one that God has placed all things under his feet. It speaks of Jesus. Look with me in Acts chapter 2, verse 25. Acts chapter 2, verse 25. Acts chapter 2, verse 25. Peter's sermon here at Pentecost. And in verse 25, he's, he's speaking and he says this. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. 
Now, I like that it says this goes back to the Old Testament. It goes back to Psalm, and Psalm 16 is one of the Psalms that's quoted here. And when we read Psalm 16, we get the idea that David is, is speaking, and perhaps he's speaking of himself, but when we get to the New Testament, we realize David is speaking of someone higher than himself. And he makes that clear in this verse, verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. So he says that Old Testament passage, many of the Old Testament passages, they spoke to Jesus. They spoke about what would happen with Jesus as a descendant of David. Now I want you to turn to Genesis 12 because Matthew tells us that this Jesus is the son of David but he's also a son of Abraham. Literally a son of Abraham. It's not just a saying. It's an important truth. So in Genesis chapter 12 verse 3 you know that passage. It's the promise that God gave to Abraham. And so we want to read it. This is what God promised to Abraham. He says in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In Abraham, God said he was going to bring a blessing to all families of the earth. That is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So Matthew in the gospel, when he says that this Jesus is the son of David and he's the son of Abraham, he says that for the purpose of us understanding that this is the one that fulfills the promise of God to Abraham to bless the whole world. So the Christmas message. This Christmas message is our Savior is come. The Christmas message is to help us to see Jesus as both the Son of Man, as we see today, and Jesus as the Son of God. He is both at the same time. Jesus is 100% human, and he's 100% God. And the Christmas message is this is the Savior that God has sent to deliver us from our sins. I want to go back to Matthew chapter 1 now. I just want to browse through a couple of these names. He's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. And it goes on to, to tell us exactly the lineage or the line, person by person, that Jesus comes through. And we are to get a message from these individuals that we see because we know something about some of them. The first, I'm just going to look at the first couple of verses, verses 2 through 5. It says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah 
That's important. We're told that Jesus is born the lion of the tribe of what? Judah. Judah. Judah was a man. He was one of the 12 sons of Israel. It says Abraham, the father of Isaac. So there's Abraham, there's Isaac. Then Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. He mentions Judah. Now, I would think not a whole lot is spoken of of Judah. There's some there. But if you remember, we were going through uh, Genesis. Actually, we were going through the life of Joseph. Remember that? The life of Joseph starts late in, in, in the book of Genesis. And so we get to chapter 36 and chapter 37. Actually, chapter 37, we begin the life of Joseph. And then there's a gap in chapter 38, and we reconnect with the life of Joseph in chapter 39. You familiar with that? You go 39, 40, 41, 42, and on, and you get the life of Joseph. And it spends a lot of time in Joseph's life because of, of what happened to Joseph. It was significant. In fact, Joseph was a picture of Christ, wasn't he? He was one who was rejected by his brothers. He was sold out to, to be a slave, right? Remember to the Ishmaelites? And, and uh, he was, he was uh, pushed off into a foreign land. And that's a picture of Christ, rejected by his own people, pushed off into a foreign land, earth. His home is heaven. He was pushed down to earth. Um, but there, he, uh, uh, he, he, he was falsely accused. Remember, Joseph falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. Jesus falsely accused by all of, all of Israel, all of Israel's leaders. And so we see a picture. Joseph rose up to be leader, second in command in Egypt. And he rose up to that position. Why? So that he could spare his people. His father was getting old in the land of Israel, and, he, and they had a famine. And so they sent, he sent his brothers to Egypt to where there was abundance of corn and, and, and food. And so they came, and it says, they came down and they bowed down before Joseph. They didn't recognize Joseph. Remember what had happened with Joseph? And so we see, we see the story of Joseph, but in between chapter 37 and chapter 39, there's this odd chapter in Genesis of chapter 38. It's an odd chapter. It's all about Judah. It's all about Judah and what a weird, sinful rebellious person he was. You can read that chapter, but you would wonder, why do we get that bridge? It just seems to confuse us, chapter 38, in the middle of 37 and 39, the story of Joseph. We get that about Judah. Let me, let me just, before I answer that, look at Matthew, what it says. Abraham, verse 2, was the father of Isaac, the, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. There's several women mentioned in the line of Christ, and Tamar is one. There's something interesting about the women that are mentioned. Usually women are not mentioned in a lineage. It's the men that are mentioned there, but in the, in the, in, in, in the case of Jesus, there are several women who are mentioned there, and they are prominent. Tamar is one. A couple things you should know about Tamar is, first of all, she is not a Jew. 
She's of Gentile descent. She's clearly not a Jew. Uh, excuse me. Um, uh, uh, Judah went off from his country and from his people, and he met a, a woman who was a Canaanite, and he married her, and he had three boys by her. One of the boys married, the oldest boy married, and the Bible just says he was wicked and God killed him. And his wife was left without children. His wife's name was Tamar. You can read the story. It sometimes is, 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 is questioning the, the, the kind of behavior that goes on there, but it tells us a couple things. That Tamar was not a righteous person per se, and neither was Judah. And as the story goes, Tamar played the prostitute, and Judah hired her as a prostitute, and she was pregnant from Judah and had two twin boys. And their names are mentioned in Matthew chapter 1 because they are in the line of Jesus. What does this tell us? <laughs> Jesus came to save sinners. He is distinct in his person and his character, but he has joined the mankind and, 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 and the sin of mankind, though he himself is sinless. He cares about sinners. He came to save sinners. Even in his lineage, it's the grace of God that he came into a mess. I've been praying for Milwaukee and for this city. I was... I was on the internet the other day. I was just looking at some stuff about Milwaukee and how, what other people think about it. And not too highly that <laughs> most people think of Milwaukee. And it's for good reason. We got a lot of mess in this city. Do you know that? Well, you know that already. We got a lot of mess. I had a relative who was coming from out of town. This is a little bit a uh, year or so ago. And uh, he was marveling at the traffic and the driving of people here. Now, he had lived in a big city. He lived in Memphis. So he knew all about city driving. He said, man, I said, I said man, you got to know, we, we drive crazy in Milwaukee. We got some crazy stuff going on. I was, I was sharing how just in our church's block, well, just a few blocks from us is, was one of the most uh, accident-prone uh, streets in the city is Capitol Drive. Right on 35th Street, we've had, in the last couple of years, we have fatal accidents, one right next door to us. We've had all kind of nonsense going on. And so I pray for this city. I hope you do too. We realize, and I look at the condition of this city, and I see what's going on, and, and sometimes I tell you, I just throw my hands up and say, there's no hope. It's so far gone. It's a mess. And then I look into the world that Jesus was born, and I see that God brings his son into a mess 
because that's the purpose of his son is to cleanse and to, 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 to redeem his people from their sin. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel tells Joseph, he says this, she will bear, meaning Mary, will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So Jesus came with a purpose, and his purpose shows that man is wicked in his living. Mankind is wicked, is sinful, and has no remedy. But God brings the remedy himself. Jesus will save his people from their sin. It goes on in the lineage of Jesus. We see Perez and Zerah. Those are the two twins that the prostitute Tamar had. In verse 5, it goes down to says, Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Now, who is this Rahab? Well, Rahab is not an Israelite. She, again, is a Gentile. So, again, God brings his son through a lineage that, yes, has a clear Jewish line, but it's also within that line Gentiles. One of those is Rahab. You know the story of Rahab. Rahab is the one that uh, Joshua, the leader of Israel, took over for Moses, and as they were about to come into the promised land, he sent some spies into the land. He sent some spies to Jericho to check it out. And these spies uh, checked out Jericho, and while they were there, they hid in the house of a woman who had faith enough to know what they were about. How do you know this? Is you, you read in Genesis, you, you, you'll see, excuse me, you read in, 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 in uh, uh, Joshua, you'll see that, it's Joshua chapter 2, in fact, you'll see that uh, um, she, she hides the spies intentionally. And she has a conversation with them, and she tells them that, look, we know who you are. And we know, I know what you did. Our whole, our whole city is in uproar because of how God has worked his power to deliver you from the Egyptians and how since then you've marched through this country and kings have come after you and you've defeated them. He says, she says, all of our people are deathly afraid of you. <laughs> and she says, we know God's going to give you the victory and so I... I want you to promise me when God gives you that victory, you'll spare me and my family. So by faith, she hid them in her own place. And these spies went back safely to Joshua, and they told Joshua what happened, and they agreed that they would spare Rahab and her whole family. They said this, they said, look, Rahab, here's our, here's our agreement. You stay in this house. You, you discord that you helped to save us from her, her, her house was built in the city wall, and they used the cord from her house to go out of the city and, 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 and run back to, 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 uh, to their people Israel. They said, we want you to put the same scarlet, score, scarlet cord outside of your window, and that will notify us of where all the people are. Everybody in your house, we will not destroy. 
But if anybody ventures from that house, their blood is on their own hand. And so he's... So Joshua saved everyone that was in that house. And it goes on, and we see in Matthew, that Rahab then became part with Israel, and she later married someone, and, and, and she became in the line of the Savior himself. Isn't that an amazing story? God takes a woman who has a sinful reputation, and he delivers her because of her faith in what God was doing. God is still doing that same thing today. He's saving people who are hopeless, who are wicked, who are sinful, but they put their trust in Jesus and he turns their life around. He's doing that same thing today. So we see Rahab. And then we see in that same verse, Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. Ruth. Ruth was another Gentile woman. She was not an Israelite. A woman named Naomi was married to, uh, she was an Israelite and she married to an Israelite and, and uh, there was a famine in the land of Israel and so they ventured out to the land of Moab and, and there they settled in for a while and they had some boys and these boys began to marry and they, they married women from Moab, not Israel, but from Moab. Ruth was one of them that married the son of Naomi. You know the story of Ruth, and you can read that in the Bible, in the book of Ruth, and you see now that she herself became a believer. She, 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 she realized what God was doing, even in harsh times. It was so harsh in Israel, they had nothing, they had famine in the land, they had to go from there uh, to, to find food and sustenance. But Ruth realized, she said, Naomi, wherever you go, I'll go. Whoever is your God, I, that's the God I'll serve. It's not a random statement. She says, I put my trust in the Lord because I see his power. I see his working. I see his doing. God then uses her life to be a descendant of David, to be a, sin, a descendant. For David is a descendant of Ruth, and Jesus himself is the descendant of David and of Ruth. We see another woman in this line in chapter Matthew 1, verse 6, And Jesse, the father of David, the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Now, it doesn't name Bathsheba, but it lets us know exactly who she is. And in fact, it doesn't name her. It simply tells the sin of David involved with her because David took a woman who had been married to a faithful soldier of his, and he skillfully and wickedly put that soldier to death so that he could have his wife, the wife of Uriah. It's Bathsheba. Now that child did not live. God took that child. But David and Bathsheba had another son named Solomon. And it's that line that continued on down to the Lord Jesus Christ. God can work through a wicked, sinful generation and bring about his purpose, God can work in Milwaukee, in my family, and in your family, 
and in our situation today. And that's what he brought Jesus into the world for. Back to chapter 1, verse 21, it says, She shall bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus. In verse 16, it says, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. These two names, Jesus, Jesus is the Greek name. The, the, the Hebrew uh, equivalent of that is jo, jo, uh, jo, let me just say it, Joshua, Jeshua, or Jehoshua, and we say Joshua. The word Joshua, the name Joshua means Jehovah or Yahweh saves. Jesus means that the Lord God, Yahweh, saves. He is the one that God is going to save through. Acts tells us there's no other name written among men whereby we must be saved. There's no other deliverance that comes from anyone else that allows us to have right relationship with God, forgiveness of our sins, and a promise of eternal life other than the name of Jesus, Jehovah saves through his son, Jesus. He's going to be called Jesus. It says also in this verse, verse 16, whom Jesus was born, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Christ. That's the Greek word Christ. The Hebrew or Christos would be the, the Greek. The Hebrew would be Mashiach or Messiah. Christ means Messiah, which means anointed or anointed one. He is the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one, the one that, that God has put his anointing on to be our Savior. Verse 21, she will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came to save us from sin, to deliver us from sin, to deliver us from the power of sin in our lives. He came so that we might have freedom and the power over sin so that sin would not be dominant in our lives. That freedom comes from Jesus and from Jesus only. We've been going through 1 John as a passage, and you're familiar with 1 John chapter 3, where, where it talks about those who abide in Christ will not continue practicing sin because the seed is in us. God's seed is in us. God, God's Holy Spirit is now living out through us, and we can't be comfortable continuing in sin. It doesn't mean that, that we're perfect or sinless or that we're not tempted. It means that in those moments when we give in to sin, that the Holy Spirit convicts us and gives us power to, have, to, to overcome that sin. One of the words in 1 John is that we are overcomers. We're not victims anymore. 
We're not there at the whim of Satan and his devices and his sin. Because of Jesus, we are overcomers of sin. I want to ask you, are you an overcomer? Are you living the life of the of victory that, that you know Jesus in you and you are fighting sin? That you don't give up. That you don't give in. That you have ups and downs and have struggles, but you're overcoming that because God has sent his Savior into the world to save us, to deliver us from that sin. The practice of sin in our lives, the power of sin in our lives, and eventually the whole presence of sin. We'll have the presence of sin as long as we live in this world. Sin will be around us. We can't get, a, get away from it. And God didn't even intend for us to move to some other mountain where there, there is no sin. That doesn't happen here. But what he wants to give us is victory over sin so that we overcome and we can share with others that this is God's plan for deliverance. I'm thankful that God has this plan that tells us that Milwaukee has hope. You don't have to move out of Milwaukee. Uh, you don't have to move into Milwaukee uh, with, with, you know, all of these man-made remedies. There's more money, better education, get rid people of poverty. All those things might be nice, but they're not the remedy. The remedy is a sin dealing with. It's to overcome the power of sin. That sin takes us. It's like a cancer, isn't it? It, it likes to move in a little bit and then just take over and destroy all in its path. Jesus said, I'm putting a stop to that. I'm giving you power over sin. I came to dominate sin, Jesus said. I came to eradicate it. I came to move its power out of your life and when you allow me, when you trust in me, when I come and live within you, I give you power to fight sin. You can't fight sin apart from the gift that God gives in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus came to save his people from their sin. Not to tell them, hey, just all right, I know you in sin, it's going to be okay. No. He says, get out of that. Move out. Have power over sin. Don't let it dominate you, but you be the victor over it. That's a daily battle for those in Christ. But Christ uh, supplies the power for us to make that battle real in our lives. He gives us the ammunition to fight against sin. Then he says this, he will save his people from their sin. How do we become the people of Jesus? How is it that it happens? God just simply says, look, when you trust in Jesus, when you take him as your Lord and Savior, you become his. John tells us that those who come to Christ, he will in no way reject. Come unto me all that are heavy that are burdened and heavy laden. He says, you, you, are, you are overburdened with your sin. You don't have the remedy for it. Jesus has that remedy. God sent him to be the savior of his people. And in saving, he's saving us from our sin. And it says... 
Verse 21, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Christmas message is that a Savior has come. A Savior has come in our clothing as a human being, come from a lineage that had sin all in it, and yet he himself is sinless. He comes as the Son of Man, a fully human being, and yet the Son of God with full power of the Almighty. He is unique. He came with a purpose, and that is to deliver, to rescue, to save his people from their sin. That's not something where you come down the aisle and you pray, and one day, and then boom, you got saved, and you just walk away, and, 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 and it means nothing else anymore after that. What it means is, look, when you trust in Christ, Christ comes and he lives within you. He gives you power over sin and he gives you eternal life so that you know that you will live with him in eternity. And so you begin to be a warrior to battle against sin and you equipped from day one to fight that battle. Now, I don't know where you are in that battle. You could be tired. You could be beaten and battered. Let me tell you, if you know Christ, you are to be victorious. And he has given you his power. Now, he's put you in a place where you can be encouraged in that walk. You can't just do it your way. You've got to follow what he says. You've got to rely on him. You can't go back to your own ways. You've got to walk in his ways. He saved you so that you would be his people. Trusting in him, living in him, being a testimony, an example of his power in your life. He came to save his people from their sin. Sometimes we get too proud to admit that we have sin. First John says, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. You deceive yourself. We admit that we need God. Because we cannot deliver ourselves. We fall upon his power. We submit to him. And then, you know, Christmas is a cause for celebration because we rejoice that he has delivered, he has provided for, for us what we really needed, and he delivers us. If anybody ought to be celebrating Christmas, it ought to be his people who are saved from their sin. We ought to be joyous. We ought to be ex explaining and exclaiming to people why it is. They're asking us, why are you so happy? Why is there so much joy in your life? And I mean that it's joy, not necessarily just happiness. It, it is joy that spews from our lives. Through the hardships that we go through, there is still an inner peace and an inner joy that comes from knowing that we belong to him and we are already victorious and we have promised eternity already. So there's a joy to know that, that, that we are in his hands and in his care. 
we ought to be celebrating Christmas <laughs> like nobody's business, but not the way the world celebrates it because they don't know what they're celebrating. We do. He will save his people from their sin. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. It is the cause for great rejoicing. It is the cause for us to celebrate. The battle is not over. You are delivering us from sin, and you will deliver us from sin. Help, help us, Lord, to, as we trust in you day by day to be faithful in serving you and surrendering to you. Where are you in that battle? I'd like to ask you that. Are you in the battle? Are you fighting? Are you getting power over sin? Are you rejoicing in your Savior? Do you realize and appreciate what God has done for you in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you worshiping him daily and acknowledging him for the Savior that he is? Rejoice in him. Submit to him. Walk in him. Worship him. We close our service. I have to mention that if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, would love to point you to Christ. You would say, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I've come to realize there's no remedy for my sin outside of Jesus and his shed blood for my sin. I submit myself to him. I thank you for what your word says about him. And I trust in him and his payment for my sin. And I give my life to you, Father. Help me walk in the path that you have as I trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. You're making that decision and that choice today. We'd like to get you connected with God's people here to be a part of this church, to get you connected in learning and hearing God's word, reading it on your own. There's so many steps in that path that we want to help you with, but we need to know that you've trusted Christ and you're willing to obey him. Would you share that with us today? I'm going to ask my wife if she'd join me in the back of the church, and I'm going to have her sit down in the back. <laughs> you might want to hug her, but be gentle. <laughs> And you can greet us as we leave. I'm going to ask Brother Cliff Hill if he would uh, offer a word of prayer. And uh, before we close here today, we want to say a word of prayer. Also, just want to take time to uh, to say happy birthday to, to Heidi today. This is her birthday. Praise God for that. It's a beautiful day beautiful person that God has made and I'm glad that he's brought her into my life into my son's life and made her a part of our family so we love you Heidi thank you for letting God use you Joyce's birthday we celebrated yesterday I want to say thank the Lord for that 
Praise God for that. A few days ago, Khalil had a birthday. Praising God for that. <laughs> Amen. Donna, would you join me? And uh, Cliff will uh, close our time in a word of prayer.